Hello, and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. Joining us on the podcast today is Director of Global Macro, Urian Timmer. Urian speaks about the latest market moves, how he is maneuvering through the current market cycle, and what investors should be looking out for. With the fiscal quarter coming to an end, Urian says that he considers earnings to be a frontline indicator of the overall economy's health. Earnings for 2023 are expected to decline by 3%, but he explains to host Pamela Ritchie that inflation has masked certain market weaknesses. Urian says that while it remains difficult to determine whether we're in a bull or bear market, the S&P and the Equal Weighted Index have retracted around 64% and 61-62% to respectively, suggesting a potential transition from a bear market rally to a new bull market. This episode was recorded on Monday, June 26, 2023. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada, ULC, or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. Well, let's dig right into it because with the end of any quarter comes the earnings story. So there are many places we could begin, but earnings are coming. What what do we need to know ultimately about where earnings estimates have gone, the progression there, and, and what we need to sort of hold on for. Uh, the first half of the year is all all about over, and uh, and you know next week is uh, July fourth here in the U.S. of course, and then uh, a week later earnings season will start, and you know earnings has been the kind of the dog that wouldn't bark, right? It's been that shoe that wouldn't drop. I mean, and it's earnings are a microcosm of. The recession story, which is also a shoe that hasn't dropped, maybe it will at some point. But um, and so, but earnings is sort of the, the the front lines of okay, you know, if there are issues, if the economy is weakening, if companies are either firing people or hiring less, or they're seeing cost pressures or margins erode, or they're finding they have to spend too much of their budget on AI and therefore their margins are going to go down. You know, we're going to start hearing about that in the next few weeks and you know pull up slide five. The next two slides Urian shares are related to earnings estimate progression, both tweeted on June 27th. You know, there's some encouraging signs here, right? So the way I think of it, markets move when the rate of change starts to improve on whatever fundamental indicator you're looking at, right? So you, you can't wait for the earnings per share number to actually start to improve because by then the market has already responded so the market responds to the rate of change or the second derivative and so that means that we are looking for signs that earnings are getting less bad because uh, to get from bad to good you need to get through less bad first right and so and earnings haven't really been bad i mean they've they have fallen uh, you know the earnings number for 2023 uh, is expected to be down 3%, so a very, very modest decline. I mean, that's in nominal terms, so obviously inflation is masking um, some weakness there. 
But if we look at the quarterly numbers, so the vertical line in this chart is the beginning of earnings season, and the black line is the Q2 series. So this is the progression of earnings estimates expressed as a growth rate. And you can see the red line, which was Q1, uh, was notable because expectations were pretty low. It was coming at about a minus 8% growth rate. And then companies, you know, beat, beat their estimates by a pretty wide margin. And that number ended up being only minus three in line with the fourth quarter of last year. And so Q, Q1 was a very favorable season because, er, because expectations were outperformed by a pretty wide margin. And so now we're going to see what Q2 will bring. And you can see that that black line is pretty flat over the last few weeks. And yeah. you can see the pink line, which is the fourth quarter. And um, uh, so the, 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 yeah, the fourth quarter, I'm missing the third quarter in there. Oh, that's the purple line is the third quarter. All those lines have flattened out and that's really the main story. And if we go to the next slide, you can see the calendar year number. And this is the same thing, right? So that black line there, is is at minus 2.6 it was at plus 9.4 you know uh last year and it was really falling hard for a while but it's really leveled off here and so to me this is you know it's not that earnings are rising uh that is expected for 2024 you can see the pink line is the 24 number expected to be up 11 percent we'll see whether that actually you know uh, pans out or not but but the point I'm trying to make is that things are have stabilized, um, and like I said, you know, if if earnings are falling and then eventually they recover, uh, in order to get to that point, they need to start falling less badly, and you need to start seeing revisions starting to improve, and we're seeing all of those things. And that doesn't mean that all of the danger is behind us. Maybe this is a, a reprieve. Maybe that recession comes in 2024, and and will produce a whole other decline in earnings so I don't have the answers uh, but but it's notable that that numbers uh, you know that things seem to be stabilizing on the earnings front and when you think about the market cycle and we've talked about this you know for the discounted cash flow model uh, the valuation of all assets is basically just the present value of future cash flows and you can apply that to bonds to equities to basically you know to real estate and anything basically and so the numerator in this formula is the earnings picture, and the earnings picture is getting less bad. And then the denominator, of course, is the cost of capital, which of course is driven by the Fed. And really the Fed is kind of, I think, what we're solving for right now. You know, how many more times does it go? The Fed did pause in June. Uh, they're gonna meet in July. So that's also the next thing that comes up once we get out of our 4th of July, you know, mood. Um, and uh, chances are, per the market, that the Fed will hike again. And, you know, Jay Powell was in front of Congress last week, you know, maybe hinting that it could even, maybe not even be the last hike, that there may be another one. And even if it is, it's going to take a while for the Fed to cut rates. And so the Fed continues to play this dance uh, with the market, uh, telling the market, don't get all excited about a pivot because it's not coming. This is where we come into... Are, are we, in fact, in a bull market? That's one piece of it. You're, you've been talking about the earnings and, and ultimately the liquidity story that has to do with what, what the Fed is doing and, and the financial conditions. How close are we <laughs> to calling this a bull market? It's, it's a great question. And I've been, you know, maybe a little cagey for mainly because, you know, no one knows the answer, of course, right? Uh, you know, figuring out the markets is a, is a four-dimensional puzzle 
that you have to solve in re real time and you don't even have all the pieces. And so n never trust anyone who is, you know, pounding the, the table saying we're in a bull market, we're in a bear market because you really don't know until, I, I'd hate to say it, until it's too late, but until it's obvious. But we do know a few things from history that we can read on. Uh, and one is if we go to slide nine, and that slide he's referring to is technicals, tweeted on June 27th. So we know that the index level, the S&P 500, has been pretty strong, but we also know that the leadership has been pretty narrow, right? So it's been the AI, the AI frenzy, the fangs, you know, the, the mega cap growers. And so it's possible that the picture is a little bit distorted because we also know that historically, an early cycle bull market comes after a washout as economically sensitive stocks get clobbered, liquidity sensitive or interest rate sensitive stocks get clobbered. And we did see that, right? The meme stocks, you know, those imploded a while ago. Then we had the bank tremors of three months ago. So we've seen some of that, but we don't have that, that big V-shaped kind of you know, bottom thing that uh, we like to see. Uh, so what I'm looking at is just what does history say about what happens at uh, at the beginning of bull market? So this chart is the S&P 500 equal weighted index. Uh, so that's same S&P, but instead of cap weighted, it's equal weighted. And normally I just look at the cap weighted primarily, but because there is that distortion with these handful of very very large cap stocks, the SPW, I think, is a useful indicator. And you can see that that index is still sort of in no man's land where yeah. it has been for a year. I mean, the, mar the market has gone nowhere in it for a year. I mean, it's and actually, and it's interesting because we've been talking about exactly that for the last year. And, you know, and I've been, you know, my, my, my Twitter followers have derided me for, for not coming out with a stronger view. But I said, you know, the conditions for a low are probably in. But the conditions for a new bull market are not, and this is what I've been saying for the last, you know, probably six to nine months. Um, and and we've had had this period of limbo, and the market has produced periods like this in the past. You know, 1994 when the Greenspan Fed raised rates was one. 2015 when the Yellen Fed tried to get off the zero bound, and you know we had there were issues in China, and the dollar was too strong. It actually triggered a Chinese devaluation in. August of 15, um, and of course the late 40s, which we've talked about many times. So there are periods where the market just sits around waiting for a catalyst, basically. Um, and so, but what we know technically is that, you know, you can see this range, right? So 5,000 on the bottom of this index, 6,200 at the top. If we were to take out that 6,200, um, that would be a pretty convincing base. So, so I, I would not want to be short this market if we start taking out those highs, because then you, you, you apply technical analysis 101, you take that range, you double it, you get to 7,400, that takes you well into new highs. Uh, so that would be one thing, and, and we're not that far, right? I mean, the market came back down last week a little bit, there was some profit taking, but we got to 6,066, um, so far, so we're not that far from confirming a bull market. And then the other element to that is that I have found that historically, bear markets, bear market rallies, uh, and you know, the question is, is this a bear market rally or is this a bull market? Bear market rallies tend to not retrace more than about five eighths or 62%, which is a Fibonacci number 
of the preceding decline. And the S&P 500 has retraced about 64%. The SPW, this index here, has retraced about 61, 62%. Um, and I, I don't have the chart with me, but I, uh, but but history shows that if if a bear, if a rally retraces more than about you know two thirds or you know sixty two percent of a decline, uh, it's really a stretch to still call it a bear market rally. At that point, basically you're in a new bull market. So it's it's interesting that 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 channel there that I'm showing here, if we were to take out the top of that of that range. Not only would we have a base pattern uh, confirmation per this chart, but we would also have confirmation of that retracement that I just mentioned. And so we would get a double whammy signal uh, from the equal weighted index. And I think that technically at least would be a very big sign. And okay. you know, then we can talk about the fundamentals. Of course, you would need earnings to be getting less bad, which they are. Um, and you would need the Fed to at least get sort of towards the end uh, you know, the ninth inning or the eighth inning, uh, to use a baseball metaphor, of its rate hiking cycle, even if it's not going to pivot imminently. And what ultimately, so within the fundamentals, the sort of discussion of of what elements of the market, it's really the small cap story. Do we see them? I mean, they have moved, actually, but there's there's still there's still more confirmation needed. What would be the makeup of the market pushing higher? What what type of stocks? Yeah. And we can look at slide four for a moment. So. And that slide is small caps, tweeted on June 26. A typical early cycle bull market um, happens after a washout, right? Like the Fed's raising rates too much, then you get a recession, then earnings fall apart. You get that kind of market clearing uh, event of earnings downgrades. Economically sensitive stocks get hammered. Interest rate sensitive stocks get hammered. Companies with poor balance sheets you know, they all get kind of taken to, 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 to the woodshed. And that's what we saw in 09. That's what we saw in 2020. That's what we see at most cyclical bear market bottoms. Um, we've seen little pieces of it, but they haven't really happened all at once, which is another kind of um, uh, caveat that if we're looking at, you know, an overall market picture and that market picture is distorted because we've had three years of COVID and all the market cycle distortions that have come with it, uh, maybe the individual pieces of the puzzle have all lined up. And, and so, you know, one was the meme stocks, right? That was in 2021. Those all started to fall apart uh, as the Fed started raising rates. So that's already long gone. Then we had bank stocks being obviously economically and interest rate sensitive. That happened in March. And, and the regional bank index remains pretty pretty bombed out still. And so you do have the components in place. And again, you know, here I'm showing the Russell 2000, which is a small cap index, uh, has a similar pattern as what I just showed. I mean, it's a weaker pattern. That, that trading range that I showed, this is a weekly chart, by the way, is lower. But again, you know, at some point, if that range gets confirmed as a breakout, uh, that's going to be a very strong signal. And I think the, the irony is that right now, investors are hiding in kind of the AI story, in the in, in the, the mega cap growth story, but we have an, an adage in the market that last the last leadership tends not to be the next leadership. And so it would be unusual for a bull market to be born led by you know the FANG stocks, which obviously led the, the, the last bear market. So I think more likely would be that if and when we get this confirmation, and it probably would come 
um, on signals that the Fed says, yeah, okay, you know, we're not going to cut anytime soon, but we're basically done raising rates. Like I'm not, I'm not putting words in in the mouth of uh, of the Fed, but it would there would have to be some sort of catalyst like that. Um, and so at that point, my guess is that the kind of the nifty 50 leadership of these mega growers would then uh, transition from them to the banks, to the consumer stocks, to the industrials, maybe the commodity sensitive. And so I would fully expect a leadership change in the next bull market. So if, if those large cap stocks are still leading in a way, to me that's confirmation that we're not quite there yet because I would fully expect that leadership to change uh, when the next bull market really does get underway. A number of questions coming in and there's more I know to say on some of your slides, but let, let's see if some of these fit with them. Um, so the, are the positive moves in the market due to a few sectors and which ones? I feel like you kind of answered that there, like the leadership story. Yeah, and, and that's why I'm looking at the S&P equal weight. Right. Um, and, you know, it's not enough for me to see the S&P or the NASDAQ, you know, even even make new highs. I mean, we're not even, even close to that. But it needs to be a broader base because um, that is historically what you see. At market cycle bottoms, the whole market goes up and small caps outperform large caps. So that doesn't mean it has to happen this time, but you know, I'm a, I'm a, his, I'm a historian and that's what we have seen in the past. And I would want to see confirmation of that if, if we're going to see this. So just digging a little bit deeper into what we did see last week. So the question is what caused last week's declines? Do you expect this weakness to continue? I mean, some will say that was a bit of profit taking. Uh, what did you see? Yeah, we had a pretty, you know, a pretty good run up. Um, and um, and actually, uh, let's pull up slide one. And the next slide is the Fed and the market tweeted on June 27th. So last week was mostly, I think, the Fed. Um, it, it was maybe some systematic trading, some profit taking, as you said. I mean, it really wasn't a very big decline. Um, and we came a pretty long way. Um, but last week, you know, the Fed had paused in June, of course, and then Powell was in front of Congress basically saying, you know, uh, we're, we're not going to cut rates for, for a long time. And, um, and we see here that the market has repriced yet again what it thinks the Fed will do. And, and the markets and the Fed have been at odds uh, during this entire cycle. I mean, if you look historically at the end of a rate hiking cycle, uh, the market just extrapolates whatever the Fed was doing, which was raising rates, and it thinks the Fed will just keep going. And then the economic fundamentals change, Fed starts to ease, and then the market prices that in. During this cycle, the market has consistently priced in a pivot, and it's still doing it, even though it's now you know, happening later and from a higher point and to a less low end point. But you can see that orange line, more expectations to go to five and three-eighths or so, and then down to three and a quarter, and the Fed is pushing back on that three and a quarter. Um, and, you know, this actually raises an interesting point, because if you look at the, the dots, and those were updated as of the June meeting, which was just a, a week or two ago, you can see the long-term dots on the right. That is what the Fed believes a neutral policy is, and it's around two and a half to three percent. If you look at R star, uh, which the Fed is now publishing again. That's a real rate. That would also be an indication of neutral. That's at around uh, one and one and an eighth or so. You add in the Fed's target of two, two and a half percent inflation. 
you get to about three and a half. So, you know, three, three and a half, I think is a pretty good estimate of a neutral policy. And lo and behold, uh, that orange line expects the Fed to go back to neutral. So the market isn't necessarily expecting the Fed to pivot into a new easing cycle, but uh, I think the market is thinking, just as Greenspan did in 95, that once the Fed can, yeah. yeah, so once the Fed can declare victory, that inflation has been tamed, and you know it has gone from nine to four percent in a year. So there's definitely good news to report, although four percent is still four percent higher than it was a year ago. Uh, but it's certainly far better than what we're seeing in Europe. Um, and so, uh, so there is a lot of progress. And if you look at the tips market, tips market saying we're going to go back to two percent, you know, in in no time, like in the next year or so. And so, if that were the case, um, then the Fed could give back some of the rate hikes, even if it's not worried about the economy, just saying no longer need it. You know, we can go back to three, three and a half. But you know, it's interesting as we think about you know this economy, which is so resilient, right? I mean, the yield curve is as inverted as it's ever been, basically, and it's been inverted for a long time now, almost a year. I know. It's, um, so what are we waiting for here? <laughs> yeah. And, and this recession has not arrived, and it doesn't show any signs of arriving. Um, and so it, it raises the question, and we've talked about this in recent weeks, that you know there are reasons why the economy may be stronger than expected, why there are mitigating circumstances of the yield curve, and one of them is that banks are not paying really more than half a percent on their deposits. So if the yield curve is a signal of funding, right? Uh, funding rates are higher than lending rates. You, that leads to a credit crunch. Uh, so all of those reasons are very legit, but if but bank deposit rates have not kept up with short rates at all. Um, and so maybe that's a mitigating circumstance. Maybe another one might be, at least here in the US, that corporates and especially homeowners uh, all refinanced their mortgages two years ago and they and they termed it out. They went from adjustable to fixed and they went to, you know, they locked in 3% mortgages. So there are reasons to expect that the economy is more rate resilient than it has in the past, but that raises then the risk that this neutral rate of three, three and a half percent, that that's all wrong, that maybe neutral is not three and a half, maybe it's five. Um, and that means that maybe the Fed has to go to 7%. You know, that's certainly not my base case. Those are Those are big numbers. Uh, but we always have to think about, like, where could we be wrong? You know, this soft landing-ish scenario where the Fed is almost done and it didn't cause this this shakeout in earnings and now earnings are starting to recover. That's that's a really nice Goldilocks scenario. Uh, what, what holes can we poke in that scenario? And uh, one of them is that the economy is about to collapse and that we do get that earnings flush. But the other one is that the economy is just so resilient that what we think is neutral is not neutral at all. And that means that the Fed is only in the fifth inning instead of the ninth inning. So again, I don't have the answers, but these are the questions that we need to ask. So this question is, when will inflation reach its target? Um, it's sort of the other side, obviously, of of the question. Um, this has to do with probably estimates. What, what, what do you think on inflation? You just mentioned that it could come down drastically, actually. So so the CPIs come from nine to four, and uh, the base effects have are pretty much running out, right? Base effects last a year, and the 9% peak was last year, June, right? So we're getting to the point where the comparables are becoming less easy. Uh, so inflation should get a little stickier now. That's not to say that's going to go up, but 
but that it's going to be maybe a little stickier. And we saw that actually in the 1940s as well, right? Inflation went to 20% in 1946 as price controls were lifted. And then it immediately came down because it was just a one-off. It really was transitory, but it went from 20 to like nine. <clears throat> and it kind of stuck around there for a year. <clears throat> and only then did it come down. And so um, if we look at the TIPS market, um, TIPS market has been relatively accurate and it's calling for two to two and a half percent inflation starting next year and lasting all the way out for the next, you know, five, 10, 30 years. Um, you know, it seems hard to believe that things are going to be that smooth, but the TIPS market has been relatively correct, although it's never been tested in a structurally high inflation environment, right? The TIPS market was only invented a couple of decades ago, and that's been during this great moderation. So, but that's really the only market signal we have. Uh, but my guess is that inflation will continue to come down. It's been helped by base effects. It's been helped by the decline in oil prices, et cetera. Um, but the question ultimately is, let's say it goes to three and a half or three, and it just refuses to go any lower. Um, are, is the Fed going to declare victory uh, and maybe uh, produce a white paper that it then publishes during the Jackson Hole conference and say, you know, three is the new two, and we're happy with that? Um, I think the odds of that are very high because when debt levels are this high and growth is this slow because of the demographic overhang, you need some inflation to inflate your way out of debt. And, you know, 3% is not the end of the world. It's not 2%, but it's not. 10% either, uh, you know, the Fed's not going to come around and announce this tomorrow. Like this would take a year or two of white papers and discussion. So the Fed never does things that easy. Remember AIT, average inflation targeting, that took several years. Um, and so maybe there's another iteration of, of that paper that says, you know, three is good enough. Um, and so eventually the, the, the problem may, may very well be, be, be put to bed that way. Uh, but uh, but who knows? But it's certainly trending in the right direction, and the tips market uh, is, is sort of you know calling the all clear with with whatever that means. Whatever that means. Um, it's it's fascinating when you mentioned Greenspan. Um, I mean, th those were always amazing events listening to him because because he would talk about you know he basically didn't signal things. He'd talk about the weather and the market would sort of rush in one direction or the other. The communication was entirely different and we know that. Do you expect the communication, just on based on what you just said there, doing things slowly, to actually get a little bit more ephemeral in a way or you know something that's less easy <laughs> to nail down um, and expect as as again, we might well be getting closer to the end rather than the beginning of this um, yeah, rate rising it's, cycle. It's a great philosophical question. And when you think about the Fed's transparency, right, which has been in place since the financial crisis, and I, I've actually interviewed Ben Bernanke on this. This was Bernanke's doing. And it's one of the things he's most proud of is, is to create a more transparent Fed. But if you think about why the Fed had to do that, that was, that was done out of necessity because Back then, the Fed got stuck at the zero lower bound, right? I mean, like, if you look at models like the Taylor Rule, um, you know, like in 2008, 2009, the Taylor Rule said that rates should have been at minus 5%. And, of course, the Fed couldn't go there. <clears throat> so it had to use the power of its words uh, to guide. So it used forward guidance. And the transparency of the dot plot was one way 
to, to let the market know, like, yeah, I know we're stuck at zero, we're doing QE, uh, but the dot plot shows we're not going to leave zero anytime soon. So the transparency was really a tool to manage expectations when rates were at the zero lower bound. But I would argue that that is a tool that is only worth having when you are the zero lower bound, um, and that when you're well above it as we are today, we're at five and a quarter, that it can actually, uh, it, it's not really that useful anymore that you do want the markets to be guessing. And, you know, again, this is why Powell has to jawbone the markets constantly saying, listen, you, you keep thinking we're going to pivot. We're not going to pivot at all. We're going to stay higher for longer. And the dot plots are, are kind of a problem in that. Yeah, let me just pull up slide one. I know we're almost out of time, but the Fed's own dot plots basically suggest that the Fed will pivot back towards neutral. And so in, in a way, the market's only following uh, the Fed's lead. So I would argue that the dot plot is something that's, yeah, so you see the purple dots there. They're all, they're going exactly where the forward curve is. So so the Fed is is complaining that the market is pricing in uh, an outcome that the Fed itself is predicting, right? Like how much sense does that make, right? Um, so I, I would argue that uh, a less transparent, transparent Fed has its place when, uh, when when the Fed is raising rates and when the Fed is stuck at the zero bound, a more transparent or a, a more forward guidance oriented Fed uh, makes sense. So that's my my take on this. 30 seconds question on, on Bitcoin, just kind of your thoughts ultimately. Well, uh, so Bitcoin has been rallying, of course, a lot of speculation about a Bitcoin ETF by, by different players. You know, BlackRock came out with a filing and all of a sudden the market was like, oh, what do they know that we don't know? And the, and BlackRock did certain things in that filing, and now everyone is filing with exactly those same things. But the market is kind of is speculating that BlackRock um, you know, unlocked the code for SEC approval. And of course, it doesn't have it yet. But um, but my, my main take on Bitcoin is that it has literally had everything thrown at it that you can possibly imagine. You know, regulatory scrutiny, fraud, speculation, bubbles, not one, two, but two or three bubbles, three different winters, all of this stuff. And guess what? Bitcoin is still hanging out there. It's like it refuses to die. And it's already doubled in price yet again from the 15,000 low to 30,000 today. And, you know, I, I respect that. I mean, to me, even if you think Bitcoin is just made out of thin air and that it's not an asset class, um, it can become an asset class just from surviving that long, um, and 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 you know and having kind of gold-like properties in terms of store value, even if it's completely perceived and not proven. The fact that it that it has this much longevity, um, I think, is has to be respected. So you know, I think it's a, it's a good story. Yuri and Timber, we're thrilled to see you. Thank you very very much for joining us and guiding us through this, and uh, we'll we'll see you very soon. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. Fidelity mutual funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. Visit fidelity.ca slash how to buy for more information. While visiting fidelity.ca, you can also find information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again. See you next time.